So Josh and I are up here this morning doing a bit of a tag team, um, sharing about hearing God in difficult times, but we feel like we should give you a little bit of a warning because right up until yesterday, I was almost at the point of thinking, I don't think I can actually stand up today. Um, I've been pretty <clears throat> ill, and it wasn't just me that's been pretty ill. Um, Josh? Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it, when you preach on like difficult times, you get some difficult times. I'm still waiting to be given the sermon on like hearing God when you're lying on the beach having a fabulous day. Um, I'm waiting for that too. That would be nice. <laughs> Getting on the beach would be great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's probably the cautionary note. But we thought we'd share this time um, this morning, um, as we were nearing to the end of our series in which we're listening to God and hearing God in difficult times, was something that. Josh and I didn't want us to just brush over. Um, I think we've both been in different situations where it has been really hard and we've questioned and wondered where is God and stuff. And I'm sure amongst all of us here, we've had that as well, personally, or maybe it's things that you've seen around or on the news and you just wonder where, where is God or you don't see it moving, you're holding on. So we didn't want to brush over that because it can be really difficult. So we know that there are difficult times. And actually, if we look at the Bible... We should expect it. I think in the Bible, when you look at all the characters that you might see, there aren't many characters there that have had it easy, um, haven't faced some sort of trouble, some sort of difficulty, maybe a loneliness, maybe it's death, maybe it's illness. But I think most of the people that we hear from in the Bible go through some sort of struggle in their life. So one of the Psalms that we've been thinking and reflecting on, I'll just see if I can bring it up, is Psalm 34. And I'll just read the psalm out to you um, to start with. Psalm 34. I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever, you, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers, them, delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. That's Psalm 34. 
Um, and Josh is going to share a little bit more in a second about some of the context behind that and why that psalm is just particularly striking as we think about being in times of distress and how we think about God and our response to that. And as we were sharing and preparing for this morning, uh, we were sharing some of our personal situations, both things that personally happened in our lives or things that we might have seen in the world or been part of. And we tried to, to box those scenarios into three different areas. And I guess we summed it up as thinking about God's faithfulness that we can't yet see when we have these difficult situations and we're still not really sure what's going to happen, where it's going to go. Those situations where God's faithfulness we might see in part, it's not the end, we're getting there. And those uh, situations where we see God's faithfulness maybe pretty much in its fullness, where fullness is probably when the kingdom is here, when we, when we die and we see Jesus and, and God face to face, but we see something of God, so we know that this is going in the right direction. And so we tried to box our experiences up into to those three neat categories, but quickly found they're a bit of a line, actually. They're a bit of a, a trajectory. Um, and depending at what point you are in your situation and in what you're facing, you'll be experiencing a different part of the journey that God is taking you on. So, Josh, I will hand to you. Thanks, Fiona. So I think having, having heard Psalm 34 read, it, it's pretty amazing in and of itself. Uh, it's David declaring how good the Lord is to him and inviting other people to praise God with him because God is so good. But actually, as I looked into the context in which David was writing, I found that Psalm 34 actually got even more astoundingly beautiful. Because the prescript says that this passage was written when David pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. And helpfully, this story is recorded elsewhere in the Bible, so we can actually go and read about what was happening. Uh, you'll find it in 1 Samuel chapter 21, <clears throat> where we read that David is fleeing for his life because his, his former friend, the king of Israel, Saul, is trying to kill him. And as he runs away, David reaches the city of Gath. Now, I don't know whether David was aiming to reach the city of Gath, or he sort of was running and happened to come across it. It doesn't really explain that. But he comes upon this city, and what we need to know is that the city of Gath was filled with Philistines. And you might remember that the most famous story about David in the Bible, the one that we all uh, see in kind of Sunday school, is David and Goliath. When Israel was at war and David killed the Philistine champion and brought victory for the people of Israel. But since then, David has gone on to be a great general, a great commander, and he's led armies in war, again, against the Philistines. One of the reasons that Saul wants to kill David is that he's jealous. And part of the reason for that jealousy is a song the people sing, which say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Now, those tens of thousands that David has uh, done the killing of are Philistines. And so if there's one place I can imagine that David doesn't want to be caught, it's in a place full of Philistines. 
And so as he comes across the city, he actually hears a couple of the Philistine people saying, hang on, isn't this that David guy who's been boasting or who people have been celebrating about him killing 10,000 of us? Do you think maybe we should do something about that? It says in verse 12, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, marking, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Now, fortunately for David, the plan works, and he's allowed to go free, and he flees to the cave of Adullam. And for me, this makes what he's saying about God even more incredible. Because I don't know about you, but I think if I was running from my friend, the king, who was trying to kill me, and I just had to let saliva run down my beard so that I could escape another king who wants to kill me, I probably would struggle to say, as David does in Psalm 34, verse 17, that the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Because I don't know, it, it kind of seems to me like David's troubles aren't really all over. At this point, he's still hiding in a cave. Saul could still find him tomorrow and kill him. And so for David to proclaim that God is faithful in all things seems pretty incredible to me. David recognizes in this psalm that God is truly faithful He's faithful now in the things that David can see, but he's also faithful in the future that David can't see yet. And so he can say these words because even if he's not sure what's coming, David knows he's not alone. And one last quick bit of important context that Fiona and I wanted to make clear this morning is that David hadn't actually done anything to bring this trouble on himself. You know, there are plenty of times in the Bible where David's a bit of a fool and he brings plenty of trouble on himself. But actually in this situation, in the previous chapters, all we hear about David doing is being faithful to God, resisting temptation, and generally being a pretty great guy. And yet the trouble still comes on him. In fact, in chapter 20, he even goes to Jonathan, Saul's son, and says, Look, Jonathan, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? We won't all go through exactly what David did. I doubt King Charles is going to listen to this preach and decide to send the, uh, what was it, 4,000 troops in that procession out to get me and Fiona tomorrow. But I... Uh, I do think that we can all understand that feeling of, hang on, something really horrible is happening, something really difficult is happening, and I've not done anything wrong here. Like, what have I done to deserve this? And so we wanted to be really upfront this morning that when we talk about difficult times, it is something we all go through, and it's often something that we've done nothing to cause ourselves. But Psalm 34 can be a beautiful example 
of how to face those difficult times and cling to God throughout. And Fiona's going to come and share a little bit more about that. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I think it can be quite quick to think when you're going through a hard time to almost do a checklist, don't you? You think, well, what am I doing? Am I doing something wrong? Have I fulfilled these different things? Um, Sometimes that's just not the case. We live in a world where there are powers and principalities that work that we don't understand, that are in God's, God's space, that he's fighting, that that is an ongoing battle. We don't always know. We won't always fully see. And so in that space of thinking about God's faithfulness that we can't yet see, we hold on, don't we, to the promises, to what we know of God, to the future. So in my work and my time at TFM, we often encounter um, different, difficult, distressing situations, from challenges such as kind of more, more local, everyday, in a community, in a village, whether it's lack of water, education, business opportunity, that a small church might be trying to work out how can we help our community through this, right through to the large-scale emergency disasters you might see on the TV, whether it be flooding, earthquakes, drought. And some of those countries that we're working are particularly, well, are particularly stressful and challenging and from a political aspect as well. In fact, often with very little warning, the security situation might change. A few years ago, this happened in a country that we were working in. We'd been there for about 12 years. And in fact, we were the last remaining, not just Christian organization, but international um, organization that was there helping to serve the people of that country. They closed down about 16 other organizations, including Oxfam, Medicine, San Frontier. And as a result, the work that we were doing there, being the only ones delivering, it was a big program. Big in terms of staff, budget, numbers, reach, the people it helped. As we started to arrive, it was a Monday morning, I remember walking into the building, and um, there's always things going on, it's always pretty busy. You log on, you check the calendar, you see what's happening for the week, you check your email. And um, there are a few of us, just because of the nature of different roles, the security, that kind of get a little bit of a wind of there's something, something a bit different today, something's not, not quite the same. And the news was coming across the organization that in that particular country, at nine o'clock that morning, as was the time over there, um, there was a bit of a sting operation on all, our, all of our offices. We had about seven across the country. And all of them were approached by government at the same time, closed. No one was able to enter. All of our resources, all of our systems, all of our, everything we had was all on lockdown. Staff were taken to an office elsewhere to be investigated. And we knew so little here in the UK about what was going on. That kind of uneasiness just rumbles, doesn't it? And it's a bit like a ripple effect that spreads, spreads across the office, that heaviness of not knowing what's going on, that there is trouble, but we don't know. There were hundreds of thousands of people that we were helping in that country. And one of the most painful things that um, we're, we were being told that we knew we were aware of is that one of our projects, it was a nutrition project, and it was for um, young infants that were acutely malnourished. Sorry, you can tell my speaking isn't that great today. Um, and it was serving 30,000 kids. 
30,000 under the age of five or six. And we, we were just so aware, the country situation, those were kids that actually had very little chance now that that program was closed. And you could just feel that heaviness, that, that challenge of where is God in this? The amazing thankfulness that we've been there for so long and had that chance to serve, but the challenge that, okay, it's all been brought to an end. And, you know, we, we sat there. I'm, I was like, I was horrified. I remember journeying back with my colleague, saying, well, why don't we just raise a petition? Why aren't we out there? Why aren't we? But we have staff out there that we have to be really careful Negotiations had to be really tentative. Otherwise, you're putting other people at risk. It was pretty devastating. And my response was quite similar to the rest of, our, of tier funds. We are people who, in different ways, tend to be quite activists. We don't like seeing harm. We don't like seeing injustices. We want to do something about it. And yet, there was nothing we could do. Nothing we could do in the physical sense, in the sense of, of what we, you know, could do but we could pray so we gathered we shared we prayed we prayed for those who were unable to do anything because it was just too overwhelming for those that were still negotiating checking that all of our staff was still okay trying to pin down was there anything we could get back trying to get a sense of what was left behind as we gathered for our Wednesday morning prayer and worship, those words in Psalm 34, I extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. It was really tough. And it was through many tears. And it was, it was a kind of um, the heartbreak of why, but also the heartbreak of God's heart must be breaking over this too. And it made me think of David and his men. And in the context of the story that we're hearing as they gathered in the cave of Adullam. And there was a, a gathering of the distress. They were taking shelter and they were fearful. They're coming together. We hear how some of David's relatives come to meet him, to get around, to gather alongside. And that was how we felt as an organization. Some of us were in the thick of it. Some people were having to do negotiation. Some were just lost. Some just needed people around them to pray. Relationships are so important in tough times, aren't they? And so although we knew our work could come to an end there, we knew that actually God had a vision for us as an organization, that that isn't the end. We're called to so much that it hadn't stopped, that we might be gathering now and regrouping and spending time digging back into God and kind of focusing and encouraging and supporting, but we also need to step back out of that cave step back out of that cave into what God has in store for us and what he's been calling us to do. And it's hard because the country is still in distress today. It's still a difficult place to be. There's needless death every day. And we hold to the fact that we know that we have a saviour, that we have a long-term vision and understanding of what God has intended. We know that there are powers at work that we don't understand. Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And knowing that God is a God of restoration, although we might not see it now, 
He's always working to put things back as how he intended. He's always working to restore and to renew. I've often heard um, those going through the toughest of times or fleeing an enemy with nothing but they, what they might carry. They often feel like they're going through end times, like Revelation, when you're fleeing a country and you've got all you've got on your back. That picture in Revelation 7, where we hear of a great multitude in white robes, those that had been through the great tribulation, um, kind of gives me assurance that we have a God who is just, who loves, who cares for us. Where it reads, they shall no longer hunger, no more. They shall hunger no more. This is Revelation 7, 16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. It's tricky, it's hard, but we hold on to what God has for the future, the future hope and kingdom when we don't know where we are right now. Hmm. The other um, difficult situation that we wanted to talk about are those times where we're going through something tough and we can see God move in part but it doesn't seem to be fixing everything or it's not the answer that we want or expect. And when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, why bother talking about this? Because surely if you're seeing God do something, that should be enough. But actually, I think it's important to recognize that situations where we see God doing something, but perhaps not everything we think you should be doing can present unique questions and unique challenges within us. One of my jobs uh, when I was a teenager was cleaning the bathroom. I've mentioned it many times in sermons. I always get drawn back to it. And one of the things that I would do is sometimes I wouldn't necessarily do a particularly thorough job. So I'd do the toilet, I'd do the bits that I knew that would be inspected, but I'd leave a few bits uncleaned. And my mum would always catch me. And she'd say to me, she'd say, Josh, you've got the rubber gloves on, you've got the bleach in your hand, you've been down on your knees cleaning the toilet, why not do the whole job? And I've I've got to be honest, I've I've got to confess that sometimes... uh, I've asked that same question of God in my own life. Like I've seen he's, he's doing things and I know I should be grateful, I should be thankful. And yet I kind of find myself saying, look God, why aren't you doing the whole job? And one story that I always go back to on this, you'll notice that Fiona's stories are much grander in scope than mine. She's talking about foreign countries, I'm talking about cleaning toilets and train journeys. But there was one day I was on the train on the way to the final exam of my master's degree. And I was nervous about the exam, but I was also really, really, really anxious. Uh, You might know, uh, I've really struggled with anxiety and depression throughout my adult life and this was one of those periods where my anxiety had taken hold of a particular situation and I was genuinely terrified of meeting a certain person on this day. I was so terrified that I'd considered 
maybe I should just skip the exam and take the consequences so that I can avoid this. That's how bad it was in that moment. And during this time in my life, I was reading Psalms a lot for two reasons. One uh, was that they're just full of comforting words. <laughs> but the other was that during this period, we, we talk about prayer a lot, but during this period, I was struggling so much that I really found it hard to pray because I found it really hard to find the right words to express what I was feeling. And I found that as I turned to the Psalms, there was always an example of someone saying what I wanted to say in a better way than I could in that moment. And my favorite Psalm was Psalm 121. I won't read it now, but it's really short. I recommend you go and read it yourselves because it's just lovely. Uh, it's all about God protecting us and not letting any harm come to us. And so I was reading this psalm over and over again on the train, desperately hoping that if I read it enough times, <laughs> it would get through to me and I'd feel calm. And as I was reading, an older couple came and sat at the table opposite me. So I gave them the obligatory nod hello and carried on reading. And after a couple of minutes, the lady leaned across the table and she said to me, excuse me, are you reading the Bible? I don't see many people your age reading the Bible. Now, this was a clear contravention of commuting policy. <laughs> Everyone knows it's eyes forward, mouth shut, headphones on. I can count on one hand the number of times a stranger has spoken to me on the train. <laughs> and yet this lady spoke to me and I, I was raised too politely to ignore her even if I might have wanted to in that moment. And so I did say, yeah, I'm, I'm on my way to an exam and I'm reading Psalm 121 to try and calm myself down. And something changed on her face. And she said, wow, you know, it's really funny that you're reading that because I lost my husband a few years ago and when I was really struggling, I woke up in the middle of the night to the words of that psalm. And all I can say to you is that it won't be easy, but it will always be true. Now, I was a bit shell-shocked, <laughs> so I kind of went, oh, thank you. And then they, they just got off the train a couple of stops later and left. Now, I know that God brought that encounter together. You know, when I couldn't help myself, he told me exactly what I needed to hear because I knew that if he helped that lady with her situation, my exam was nothing. And yet, at the same time, I have to admit that I've questioned God and said, look, it's as easy for you to heal me completely of my anxiety and depression as it is for you to make me meet that person on that train. So why did you choose to do that and not heal me completely? Because it would have been a lot easier, a lot nicer if God had just healed me straight away. But then I return to Psalm 34, when I think in many ways David seems to be going through a similar situation because the Lord has helped him escape the king of Gath 
But actually, the main problem in David's life is still very much there. He's got out of one scrape, but the bigger issue, the root issue, still is there. And yet, rather than responding to God by being frustrated and saying, look, why can't you just deal with Saul and then I don't have to hide in a cave? David takes the one moment when he was rescued from the king of Gath and he holds on to that moment as a confirmation of the hope that he has that God will come through for him again. Because God is faithful and the ultimate promise of that faithfulness isn't something that we will see right now but it's the promise of an ultimate reconciliation to him with the return and reign of the risen Jesus Christ. You know, I wonder if that's part of what David was seeing when he prophetically wrote this psalm. That the ultimate rescue and deliverance was still to come. And that no matter what trouble he saw now, he could hope in that ultimate faithfulness of God. The truth is that a lot of the answers we see right now from God will be in part because that fulfillment, that fullness is still to come. But we need to treasure the times where we see God do little things, even the things we don't expect, and cling to them as our hope when things are really difficult. And now Fiona's going to come and share on those wonderful times when we see God's faithfulness in a truly abundant way. <clears throat> yeah, so I guess um, one of the privileges of working my work is, yeah, you see the difficult times, but you also see the most incredible God moments where you just realize that there's no way that would have happened if it wasn't for our God, if it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for how he was working and using different people. And um, as I think about the faithfulness, we see, I, I sort of said to Josh, actually, it's still, it's still an ongoing thing as well, actually. It's not just in that moment, but um, probably some of you will remember, be aware of back in 2012, there was a military coup that happened in Central Africa Republic. And it wasn't getting much coverage here in the UK. Um, in our offices in Teddington, we were getting a little bit frustrated. We were like, why is it not getting on the BBC News? Do people not know what's going on? Uh, feeling a bit annoyed, really. So many disasters um, and emergencies can come on our news when it's an earthquake, um, when it's a hurricane, when it's storms, when it's droughts, we hear about it. But when there's... Um, potentially civil war, when there's something inside that's, that's broken, we don't really hear that much about it. It's much more sensitive. And it wasn't gaining the coverage. And inside, we're thinking, well, what can we do? We have relationships and networks. We work with a few different churches out there. We were aware that the situation was escalating, that there was a huge amount of, of bloodshed, that relationships um, were kind of severing. They were getting really tense. So we decided we would do a little bit of a Nehemiah and um, so when we were studying Nehemiah, it made me smile a bit because we got together some of our key, key operational staff and we sent out a team. We scraped the pennies together. We knew we had enough to send 
four or five people out to do a bit of a scouting mission to try and work out what is the situation What's it like from a security perspective? How big is the need? Uh, how can we best serve if that's what we're supposed to be doing? So we sent the, the team out. And before we go into a country, it usually takes us quite a long time. At TFM, we spend a lot of time praying, listening to God, debating, is this the right thing? Because to go into a new country operationally costs a huge amount of money. It's a huge risk. It's personnel time. It's budget. Um, it's a lot that you end up, up carrying if you do that. So you have to be really wise about whether that's the right thing and whether God is calling you to that. So the scoping mission was to start that process off. And the team came back. And it was. It was pretty harrowing what we were hearing and how they were feeling. But when we went through our checklist, you know, the, the box, you know, all the risks, there was like no way we could do that. We just weren't prepared. It would be too much of a risk for us to go out and to respond and to act. And all the time, we were sat there watching the TV thinking, come on, is no one going to say anything about what is going on? The Pakistan being, if, if the BBC show a lot and if the news you know, picks up, then usually there's a disaster emergency appeal that is called. And we're part of that as an agency. And then we'll have the funding come through to enable us to do what we think we need to do. But it wasn't happening. And all that time, the team that had gone out on the scoping mission were sat there kind of feeling really uncomfortable. They knew that they were just sitting down. <laughs> they felt like they were just turning the other way when they knew what was going on. So they petitioned. They spent time with the senior management. Uh, there's a lot of discussions that have to happen. And after, despite having ticked all the boxes that effectively told us we shouldn't be, we took the decision that we should that sense that God was pushing us into something, that he was giving us something, that, that gut feeling that you sometimes get that is unexplainable. It doesn't have any rational space. It's, it's from God. So we took the decision to go operational. It's a big risk. We thought we'd probably have enough budget to cover the, you know, the first couple of weeks, maybe, maybe a few months of being, being active and working to respond. Being that I head up a fundraising team, the first question that came to me was, Fiona, do you think you can get us, get us a couple hundred thousand so that we can keep going for the next however many months? At which point you kind of have a bit of a panic and rally around and think, well, what can we do? How can we find this? But it was incredible. It was an amazing answer to prayer because we did what we needed to do and God was incredibly faithful. We were able to find that couple hundred thousand that we needed for those first couple of months so that we could deliver what we needed to deliver from what we could assess and, and see was required. We had security in place. Actually, it was because we, we had relationships and networks, we were in a pretty good position. So we managed to be able to work for a couple of months. And in that time, the news came on. It suddenly got the kind of, I don't know, the voice that it needed here in the UK. And appeals were launched, and other agencies were picking up the baton too. So that was a really incredible answer to prayer because after that, more funding came in for us to be able to stay for longer, to do more work. And it's you know, at those points when someone comes to you, oh, can we just have a couple hundred thousand? <laughs> yeah, I'll just pull it out my pocket, here you go. It was incredible to see that money come in, to set it, set it up, to kick it off, to be able to respond fast rather than waiting the months and months that we would have otherwise had to wait. As I think back to Psalm 34, David's journey, and we move from that initial gut 
to actually going and doing and taking a step of faith. We didn't know we would be able to do it fully. We took the step of faith and God fulfilled the rest. His faithfulness in provision of what was needed. It's still a tough place, Central African Republic. It's still incredibly vulnerable. Um, there are figures around 2.8 million people that are in need of humanitarian aid. We're still working there. Um, we're working in peace building, empowerment of women, sexual and gender-based violence and addressing those issues and water and sanitation. And importantly, alongside other organizations, local communities and the church, which is becoming a bedrock in addressing those things. So it's a story of hope because even in those really dire situations where it can feel all-encompassing and you just think, how can you find the next step? Taking that step, hearing God's nudging, doing what seems countercultural or against your checklist, he met us in that need. And that was an incredibly, just amazing, thankful position to be in. So, in conclusion, in Psalm 34, David expresses his belief in the faithfulness of God, even as he goes through one of the most difficult times in his life. And today we've shared some examples of different times that we've been through, um, some where we thought we couldn't really see God at all, some where we could see God in part, and some where we could just really clearly see God doing incredible things. But as Fiona said in the introduction, and as she challenged me as we were preparing for today, it really isn't as clear-cut as that. All of these stories are a case of now and not yet. See, in the first example, in the country that tear funds were uh, forced out of, they've not given up. They're still praying. They're still hoping. They're still believing that God will turn that situation around. You know, my own story, I, I'm really grateful that I can stand here today and say that in terms of my mental health, I'm, I'm more healthy than I've ever been in my life. And that is all down to God. And yet, I still struggle. I still have to manage it. And I know that perhaps I won't see full healing until the day that I meet Jesus face to face. But I do know that day is coming. Equally, in the final story, even though God provided so powerfully to enable Tear Fund to help many people in the Central African Republic, as Fiona said, there's still lots of need there. It's not as if they went into the difficult situation and it all cleared up overnight. They're still working hard, still praying hard, still seeking God for more but believing in his faithfulness. If there's one thing that we'd like you to take away from this morning, it's that there is hope in the faithfulness of God. When it comes to hearing God in difficult times, praise him that it's all about his faithfulness and not our own situation. And we would like to leave you today with three practical little tips that have helped us. Now, keep this short because I am aware of the time. <laughs> Hopefully, you will have seen these come through in each of the different stories, even though we didn't mention them by name. The first little tip is gather trusted people around you 
and don't be afraid to lean on them. So just like Tear Fund gathered their team to pray together, cry together, but focus on God together, so too can we gather helpful people around us to pray when we need, to give us a hug when we need, to do all sorts of different things. I mean, I'm a firm believer that this is the reason why we are a church. This is one of the main reasons for me why when we become a Christian, we don't just do it all on our own, but we're called to be part of a wonderful community because we're all going to have difficult times, but hopefully we're not all going to have difficult times at the same time. (laughs) And so there are people that can gather around us and help us. Second practical little, little tip is don't give up as hard as that might be and hold on to the glimpses of God you've already seen. I look at David, Saul might still have been chasing him, but did that make what God did in saving him from Achish, king of Gath, any less incredible? No. I can't tell you how many times since, even though it confused me in the beginning, I've reminded myself of what God did for me on that train journey when I've needed a spark of hope to keep going. And thirdly, lift your eyes to the hope to come and remind yourself that all things here will one day pass. But they will pass because we will see Jesus return, establish his kingdom, and wash away all difficulty never to return. And when we enter into relationship with him, and as we heard last week from Paul, when we say, yeah, God, you are my king, and I choose to declare that I will serve you, when we do that, We're promised that that day will come and we will be with him when it does. And so for me, that's how I can proclaim Psalm 34 even when I don't feel like David did. Because even when it doesn't feel close to my experience, I know that it is the promise of my future.